Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. That's the fact, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. I love that. Tiny people. I'm strong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. The psychopathic problem of the white mind. Actually, the name of a lecture giving it given at Yale University by a supposedly respected PhD. Well, I'll just read the article from Substack for you. A psychiatrist lecturing at Yale's Child Study Center spoke about unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way. You'll hear the full quote here in a second. A few weeks ago, someone sent me a recording of a talk called The Psychopathic Problem of the White Mind. It was delivered at the Yale School of Medicine's Child Study Center by a New York-based psychiatrist as part of Grand Rounds, an ongoing program in which clinicians and others in the field lecture students and faculty. When I listened to the talk, Barry Weiss tweeted this out on her uh, Twitter page. When I listened to the talk, I considered the fact that it might be some sort of elaborate prank. But looking at the doctor's social media, it is completely genuine. Here are some of the quotes from the lecture that was advertised for weeks ahead of time there at Yale. This is the cost of talking to white people at all, the cost of your own life as they suck you dry. There are no good apples out there. White people make my blood boil. They even give the time stamp. That's at the 6 minute 45 second mark of this speech. Well, she's already been tried and convicted of being a racist based on that sentence. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver in the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step like I did the world an effing favor. This is a speech delivered at Yale? Can you imagine anybody saying that out loud about uh, a black person, a Hispanic person, an Asian, anything like that, and this just flying under the radar and you getting away with it? You giving this speech out loud at Yale University? If tape got out of you saying this at a Klan meeting, you'd be done. Right. And you should be, because well, it's evil. It's an evil thought, and you are an evil racist. Well, the idea in evil, evil critical race theory is there's no such thing as anti-white racism, because if you don't have power, you can't be a racist. White people are out of their minds, and they have been for a long time. That came at the 17-minute mark. Uh, more here. We are now in a psychological predicament because white people feel that we are bullying them when we bring up race. Thanking them for all they have done for us. They are confused, and so are we. We keep forgetting that directly talking about race is a waste of our breath. We're asking a demented, violent predator who thinks that they are a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't going to happen. They have five holes in their brain. It's like banging your head against a brick wall. It's just sort of not a good idea. Wow. That's so stupid <laughs> in so many ways. Acting as if there's no middle ground between thanking the white people for everything they've done for us and, and being a homicidal racist. There's no middle ground where we just deal with each other as human beings. That woman has mental illness problems. We need to remember that directly talking about race to white people is useless because they're at the wrong level of conversation. Addressing racism assumes that white people can see and process what we're talking about. They can't. That's why they sound demented. They don't even know they have a mask on. White people think it's their actual face. We need to get them to know the mask, whatever the hell that means. Wow. They uh, included the poster from the speech that was put up on campus all over the place. Child Studies Center Grand Rounds, presented by Yale School of Medicine's Department 
of Child Study Center. The fact that it's the chi- children's studies is amazing. The oh, psychopathic sorry. problem of the white mind, it says in big red letters. Uh, Aruna Kilanani, MDMA, forensic psychiatrist, psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. And the speech she gave just last month. And, uh, yeah, so advertised, given, recordings out there and available, doesn't even make a blip unless you're listening to right-leaning talk radio. It doesn't even make a blip anywhere. Somebody going around talking about this. It doesn't fit the narrative. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I just read where Washington State has mandated critical race theory in all public schools. Even really? as Texas and Florida and, and others have banned it, and 20 state attorneys general have petitioned the Biden administration to get it out of the federal government and federal programs. Yeah, the state of Washington uh, has now required critical race theory uh, in all of its public schools. Let me find the part of the interview that I thought was so good, because uh, a writer interviewed this um, doctor who was giving the lecture, who gave the lecture at Yale. Um, and it's really quite amazing. I read this on Friday. I want to find the, the best part. Mm, okay. So they see, she gets into talking about, um, uh, white people and the, 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 how crazy they are with their, how crazy they are and how they can't see anything and they're psychopaths, et cetera, et cetera. And the interviewer says, what would you say is the cause of this? I think it's colonialism, that history. If you do this much lying to yourself, it's going to have an effect on your mind. There's no way it can. And the interviewer, who leans way left and is like, you know, fawning over this person, still doesn't understand because it doesn't make any sense. Right. And says, how does that work? Are you talking about some kind of epigenetics or the passing down of the collective unconscious? I'm an American, a white woman. I don't have any direct experience with colonialism, although I'm sure I've benefited from it in some ways, she has to throw in. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to see how I would be traumatized by this thing that happened before I was born. Yeah, it's a decent question. How were you traumatized by colonialism that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago? Since we're allegedly discussing science here. I don't think you do feel traumatized. White people experience this as normal. That's their level of functioning that feels normal. But it's picked up in everything. It's picked up in history. It's picked up in all aspects of culture. Could you give me an example of what? (laughs) what we're talking about (laughs) of what (laughs) that's almost like a comedy gag right it's like monty python of what could you give me an example of what of how this is picked up in all aspects of culture how do you see the after effects of colonialism manifesting itself in the white mind today it's going to be hard for me to give you a one sentence soundbite on this or anything, As if really. she asked for that. If this is so obviously a con person, a, a, a huckster, uh, you know, a, a fraud merchant who has no arguments beyond the surface argument. How exactly does the snake oil cure both uh, rheumatitis and depression? Uh, well, that's, uh, I, I, I can't give you a soundbite on that. but I can't uh, give you a one-sentence soundbite on that. I didn't ask for one. We have all day. Go. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be hard for me to give you a one-sentence soundbite on this, but I would say a high level of guilt. I've never seen anything like this before, other than in white people not eating bread, an incredible level of shame, feeling really exposed all the time, a lot of perfectionistic tendencies, not letting themselves move forward, experiencing themselves as a passive a lot. Boy, that is projecting, just a classic case of projecting. What are you talking? White guilt is is proof of of what you're pitching? What was the part? And of, not eating 
bread? What was the bread part? I'll eat some bread then. I eat lots of bread. Wonder, yeah. bre- Wonder bread, of course, the only oh. bread. Oh, you are very white. Yeah, that's 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 a con man operating. I've heard plenty of them. Plenty people try to dupe us into real estate schemes or or what have you. I recognize the the speech patterns. That's interesting stuff right there. And I and it's 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 very very troubling that it has been become okay to be this racist. As long as it's toward white people, this will not end well. Not a joke. This will not end well if we decide this is okay. Right. And the great lie of this stuff and why it's so insidious to teach it to children is the idea that you can't be racist against white people because you don't have power. Racism is universal. Uh, racism, bigotry, call it whatever you want, around the world. It has particular, you know, you can describe it, you can observe it. It has effects. It has terrible, dangerous, corrosive effects. And the fact that one group might be in a minority, the idea that that thereby makes the corrosive effects non-existent, I mean, that's just idiotic. I could point to a dozen different cultures where you have minority groups that have racist views of other groups, and it causes horrific violence. Just terrible, terrible human misery. And the, the idea that if you are, are 50% of the population plus one, the other guys can't be racist, that's idiotic. I mean, that's just, it's so stupid, it's hard to even to, to, to sum it up the breadth of form an argument against it. And yet it's being taught in our schools to our little kids. Yeah, it's uh, it's frightening. We just wanted you to hear it because I don't think you're going to hear it anywhere else. But that was somebody that spoke at Yale University. All that crap you just heard. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So Vanity Fair, as we've mentioned, has a long, even by their standards, piece on the lab leak theory of the origin of the coronavirus, specifically having to do with the Wuhan Institutes of Virology. Fascinating fact on that institute coming up in moments. Okay. This piece is so long and there's so much to it. I've struggled with how to present it. Um, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff at you and, and it'll come together. I think you should present it through interpretive dance. That's one thought. Um, anyway, they, they begin the article talking about Gilles Damanouf, who is a data scientist with the Bank of New Zealand in Auckland. He's diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. He says that he's really good at seeing patterns in data where hmm. other people don't. It's wow. one of those weird offshoots of Asperger's syndrome. And, uh, and his interest, he's a professional data researcher now. Um, and uh, so keep him in mind. But they mentioned that early last spring, as cities worldwide were shutting down to halt the spread of the COVID-19, he began reading up on the origin of, of the SARS and the whole wet market leapt to humans theory. The Hunan wholesale market in the city of Wuhan, they describe it. Uh, that wasn't the only theory, though. Wuhan is also home to China's foremost coronavirus research laboratory, housing one of the world's largest collections of bat samples and bat virus strains. Then they mentioned the lead coronavirus researcher, Xi Jinping, the so-called bat lady, first uh, to identify horseshoe bats as natural reservoirs of various SARS and COVID uh, stuff. Um, after SARS bats became a major subject of study for virologists around the world, and she became known in China as the Batwoman for her fearless exploration of their caves to collect samples, more recently she and her colleagues at the WIV had performed high-profile experiments that made pathogens more infectious. Such research, known as gain of function, has generated heated controversy among virologists. And to some, it seemed natural to ask whether the virus causing the global pandemic had come out of the lab. 
On February 19th, 2020, The Lancet, among the most respected and influential medical journals in the world, published a statement, I think we all remember, that roundly rejected the lab leak hypothesis, effectively casting it as a xenophobic cousin to climate change denialism and anti-vaxism. Signed by 27 scientists, the statement expressed, quote, and, and dig this phrase, solidarity with all scientists and health professionals in China. And asserted, oh Thanks for that. What, what does that mean? And asserted, quote, we stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. That's interesting. They're conflating the idea that it was a carefully engineered bioweapon with the idea that, no, there was legit research going on and it leaked. There's a lot of that going around. Yeah. Well, they were claiming it was a weapon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I heard some people, but that, you know, that wasn't like the lead idea. Yeah, Steve Bannon was out there pitching that idea, which clouded the waters completely. But uh, the Lancet statement effectively ended the debate over COVID-19's origins before it began. To uh, Mr. Dumanoof, who we were talking about earlier, uh, it was as if it had been nailed to the church doors, establishing the natural origin theory as orthodoxy. Quote, everyone had to follow it. Everyone was intimidated. That set the tone. But the statement struck him as totally non-scientific. It seemed to contain no evidence or information. So he began to bring his own inquiry in the property with no idea of what he would find. Among the things he found was a history of lab breaches in China, researching SARS-related uh, viruses. Um, and they mentioned a couple specifics. And then in looking into the Wuhan Institute of Virology, it's not a laboratory at all. It's a center that houses multiple laboratories. Only one of them has the highest biosafety protocol, BSL-4, in which researchers must wear full-body pressurized suits with independent oxygen. Others are designated BSL-3 or BSL-2, roughly as secure as an American dentist's office. Wow. And China has a history of if things get crowded over there in that refrigerator or that lab, they'll just go ahead and do it in that lab that's not nearly as safety rated. There's a history of this. And so these guys start posting this stuff, and other people said, hey, wait a minute, you're doing some good work. We'd like to help. This is our field of expertise. And they formed an ad hoc commission uh, to solve the riddle of COVID-19's origin. Now, reestablishing their obnoxious progressive credentials of Vanity Fair, and I think this is partly to excuse themselves, talks about the obvious racism of Donald Trump and how his blaming China led to assaults on Asian people across America without any evidence, by the way. right. Boy, we got a vehement email the other day from somebody who lives in Oakland, says, yeah, all of this is black men beating up old Chinese people. They got nothing to do with Donald Trump. It's interesting. I was actually talking to Ying Ma yesterday, who's been on this show many times, who's been on various shows all across the country as as an Asian girl trying to make the point that it's an awful lot of it is black on Asian crime. Anyway, we don't want to get hung up on that. Yeah, so they mentioned uh, uh, Steve Bannon and Donald Trump, and and it just made it so easy to uh, the excuse to reject it out of hand was it's more of Trump's lies, including right. in Vanity Fair. Uh, but then they mentioned, all right, so millions of people are now dead, et cetera, et cetera. Um, bah, 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 bah. Okay, now we get into the U.S. State Department. 
A months-long Vanity Fair investigation, interviews with more than 40 people, reviews of hundreds of pages of U.S. government documents, including internal memos, meeting minutes, etc., uh, found that conflicts of interest stemming in part from large government grants supporting controversial virology research hampered the U.S. investigation in COVID-19's origin at every step. In one State Department meeting, and this is the, the convincing the family we need a gun in the home thing I was talking about earlier, in one State Department meeting, officials seek to de- demand transparency from the Chinese government, say they were explicitly told by colleagues, American State Department colleagues, not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to the U.S. government funding of it. Boy, that is really, really wild. That needs to be nailed down. Who was in that meeting? Who was saying that? And they need to be, uh, you know, brought before Congress and asked questions under oath. Well, they have the names, and I suspect they will be. But in an internal memo obtained by Vanity, Vanity Fair, Thomas DeNano, uh, former acting assistant secretary of the state's Department Bureau of Arms Control Verification Compliance, wrote that staff from two bureaus, his own and the Bureau of International Security and Nonproliferation, warned leaders within his bureau, quote, not to pursue an investigation into the origin of COVID-19 because it would, quote, open a can of worms if it continued. Yeah, it would open a can of worms. But the truth is, you know, the truth is the truth. you got to pursue the truth, even if it's a can of worms. Yeah, there is much, much more to this, and we'll sprinkle it in throughout the day, but it is absolutely clear to me what has happened. I prefer fresh worms as opposed to canned worms, but uh, that's up to you. However you get your worms. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, he. Strong and Getty. What is that sound? What is that cheering? That is a, a Las Vegas woman crushing three watermelons in seven and a half seconds with her thighs, making it a world record. <laughs> Come on. Beating the uh, standing record of 14 seconds held, held by some... Destroyed the record. Yeah, set by some Ukrainian body bodybuilder woman. Actually, this uh, Las Vegas woman, what is her name, Courtney Olson, actually beat the male record. So she is the flat-out world <laughs> record holder. The male record for thigh watermelon crushing. Right. She I, think we're, three... I think you're jumping past the key element to this story too easily. <laughs> she um she did it in watermelon. She's pushing her new clothing line that she's got, and she's preparing to teach watermelon crushing classes starting August 3rd. So. I tell you what, if you're considering dating a woman who can crush watermelons with her thighs, you ought to think carefully about that. Um, we'll get to banning non-functional grass, which could uh, spread as a thing across America. We'll get to that in a second. Kim Jong Un has outlawed tight jeans. Kind of a <laughs> kind of a funny uh, title, but the details of the story are chilling and real. Um, a law passed this winter called the Law on the Elimination of Reactionary Thought and Culture. Something China will probably do, or has sounds hurt. like sounds like something out of an American university. Yeah, true. True that. Carries penalties from five years in prison to death. Um, being on the wrong side of the law can be as simple as wearing tight pants. Um, they don't want skinny jeans, piercings, or trendy hairstyles. 
Watching certain TV shows can get a person sent to a labor camp. Smuggling TV shows into the country is a death penalty. Wow. A trendy look, the latest slang, awareness of South Korean TV shows are all signs of a capitalist lifestyle and thus anti-socialist, according to the North Korean government. They've called all these things dangerous poisons. So wow, so I'll bet they're sending their secret agents out into the hinterland saying, hey, have you seen the latest episode of, you know, what's it? And if you say yes, you're in serious, serious trouble. Well, it even seems like, oh, you have the hairstyle that Justin Bieber wore last week. Therefore, you are paying attention to American sure. culture, which is free markets, which we are against. There you yeah. go. Yikes. We don't want to all live like that. So let's uh, keep pushing back against China. And then to the grass. Parts of Nevada banning non-functional grass. First state in the country that's going to ban grass. Any non-functional turf. Now, it leaves out your backyard and front yard. Uh, They aren't going anywhere. Single-family homes are exempt from the new law, as are golf courses and parks. But we'll be saying goodbye in Nevada to grass that sits between the roads and the sidewalks. Or medians or traffic circles. You know, all that grass that uh, exists just kind of just does. Somebody has to mow that and water it and everything like that. That's all taxpayer money, too. So Right, right. And I'd imagine, you know, in your office parks or big buildings yep. that have a beautiful lawn surrounding them. It mentions that. Um, yeah. Oh. Decorative grass outside of big buildings, including housing developments and businesses, will go away. Lake Mead, which supplies around 90% of southern Nevada's water, is at a record low. And then people just also started thinking, what what do we need the grass between the median and the sidewalk for? What's what what's going on there? The sidewalk and the road. We need that. Here's one thing I would say though, and I wonder if they've taken this into account. How much cooler it makes your city? Mm. Um, I don't know what the trade off is there. As, As in, like that's cool, Daddy O. Yeah, <laughs> keen, neato. Sure. Yeah. Uh, as a motorcycle rider. it's amazing to me. You don't notice this in a car, but I can. You, you can be driving down a highway. Where it's just like, uh, I don't know, dirt on both sides. Then there's a big field. The temperature drops so much, you might end up cold as you drive by a field. Then the temperature goes back up again when the, when the field is over. It's amazing how much the temperature is affected by, you know, whether or not there's some green plants growing. Wow. How and, uh, interesting. And I wonder what that'll yeah. do to the just overall temperature of uh, Vegas, which doesn't need to get any hotter. No. Or any city where they ban grass. Yeah, I don't know if oh, that's that into an a, intriguing question. I don't yeah. know if they've taken that into account, but there you go. That might be the future for a lot of places around America. Mm-hmm. I should probably ban tight pants myself. The pants I'm wearing are not too tight, but I do have some pants that are quite tight. I feel bad for the North Korean guy who's just put on a little, a couple pounds, right? And I was going to say, yeah. I'm not wearing too... tight pants. I'm too big for my perfectly okay pants. Right. Did you shrink the pants to, to achieve some sort of visual look, or did you grow into the pants? Those are two completely different pantal relationships. The law on the elimination of reactionary thought and culture. How scary sounding is that? I tell you what, you go to American universities, you poll the professors, you could get at least 50% who would say, yeah, that sounds good to me. I'd like to be able to do that. Probably different issues than haircuts, piercings, and tight pants, but... Uh... Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Two things you need to know about the New York mayoral, mayoral race. It gets way too much attention because all the media is based in New York. It doesn't matter to me or really any of you. <laughs> Who well, the, mayor the only reason that it, it matters to me is it, uh, New York's uh, a, a laboratory of democracy. It's it's sure. an experiment in governance. Yeah. So yeah. I like to see what happens. Oh, I, yeah, I get that. But, uh, you know, come on. You can't deny it out, gets outsized attention because everybody oh. telling you what the news is lives there. 
Oh, um, absolutely. Right. But um, Andrew Yang was leading in the polls, and now this other dude is leading in the polls who's uh, coming off as tougher on crime because that is the number one issue in New York, public safety. And I wonder if that is going to uh, spread across the country. Uh, mentioned last week the the incredible numbers on how many people care about crime and uh, and public safety right now. It's just, just skyrocketed. Uh, the latest to poll there, the Ipsos poll in New York, nearly 46% of likely voters say crime and public safety should be the top priority of the next mayor, up seven points in a month. Uh, anyway, so that is going to be what most people are talking about. Yang, Andrew Yang, who's uh, second in the polls, he's he is um, he's not a soft on crime guy. He just hasn't made it a big uh, emphasis of his platform. He might have to start mm-hmm. if he wants to. But uh, I don't know, because they're doing an interesting experiment that a lot of people have been wanting for quite a while. They're doing rank choice voting in New York. It'll be the biggest experiment we've had in the country with rank choice voting. They do it in Alaska and I think Maine, but because their populations are so low, it's hard to say what the results are. New York mayoral race, much bigger population, and we'll see what the effects of this are. Do you want to explain how that works? or? Well, yeah, you essentially list your first, second, and third choice, depending on the system. The idea is that if, if say, Jack, Joe, and Sean are running for office, and, and, and I, Joe, get the, uh, get the most votes... But it turns out way more people, I don't get a majority, but it turns out way more people would, would rather have, uh, say Sean if they can't get Jack. And, and people who like Jack would, would rather have Sean too, in addition to the Sean voters. You end up with really who's the most popular candidate, um, once you eliminate people. It's, it's hard to explain. I, I've also heard it. And it, I've done it poorly. <laughs> it greatly disincentivizes the negative campaign mudslinging style. In theory. So um, anybody that gets over, if you get over 50%, you win. But if nobody gets over 50%, then you start ranking them the way Joe was just talking about. And you eliminate people on the bottom, and then you vote again, and you go, you do, you do that. Um, and in theory, you you have fewer, you have more incentive as a candidate to try to appeal as many to as many people as possible. Because mm-hmm. if if so and so is gonna drop out, I want all their voters to come to me because then I move up and end up winning. As opposed to the way the system goes now, the way we currently do it now, you can be an outlier and maybe end up with the biggest chunk, even though it's a small number, and end up winning. Right. You know, functionally, what it does is instead of, uh, you know, nobody wins the majority, and so you take the top two and have a runoff, it just does the runoff now. Let's have a theoretical runoff, just in case, on the ballot. A recent study in Maine, though, showed that negative advertising went up with ranked choice voting <laughs> when they when they brought that in. <laughs> MIT did a study, and the exact opposite of what they thought would happen. Hmm. So a lot of predictors by political scientists of how this will fix politics could be wrong, but I'm glad we're doing a big experiment in New York to see how it happens. Were the negative ads successful? Well, one one thing is is the idea that uh, campaign managers, they're still trying to figure out how to do this. It's too mm-hmm. new everywhere to figure out how to do it. So maybe over time it will get less negative and we'll like this more, but I don't think we're going to figure it out in one cycle. I don't know, because there's an element of I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun the, the worst candidates. So I'm going to badmouth them. You know, <laughs> right. Make them look terrible. Armstrong and Getty.
Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Members of Congress saw in both classified and unclassified session some pretty remarkable examples. One is that a few years ago, the United States was bringing in some very large electric transformers, the kind you use to power the electric grid. Mm -hmm. And when they sent them off to one of the national labs for examination, they discovered some hardware inserted in the transformers that was not part of the design spec Hmm. that would have essentially enabled somebody in China to flip these on and off. Well, that seems like a big deal. So the New York Times has a daily podcast, and uh, today's version, David Sanger was on. He's one of their senior reporters that writes about all kinds of things like he was just talking about. And the fact that China was uh, selling us uh, equipment that has a secret off switch on it that Beijing could use if they ever wanted to. And, well, glad we figured that out now. Well, I'd say, and that's just the beginning of the technological, uh, you know, uh, tools that our adversaries can use. And off switch is awful, obviously, but he's going to be talking about some other options. And I had not realized this. I'm reading a piece at heritage.org about this very problem. And, and it says it is widely understood that a major power grid collapse could become the single most deadly event in U.S. history. Really? What, what, what would kill people? I suppose all hospitals being offline, although they generally have generators, there would be, you know, boredom, be old folks. People dying of boredom left and right. Can't right, play video the, games. Exactly. Don't have the Internet. Just no, kill me. No Netflix. People, yeah, just kill me. Kill me now. And I've no People's Netflix. heart just stop out of boredom. Yeah. Are they assuming some number of, like, uh, traffic stuff because traffic lights don't work? I don't well, know. I think you'd have that. You would have crime. You would have old people who uh, have assistive machinery in their houses would croak. Hospitals would have terrible problems. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not trying to sell guns, but that's when I'd be happy to have a gun. If If all the power went out for, like, days at a time, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to read more about that. I, I must confess, maybe it's a lack of imagination. I, I feel like I'm missing something. But at any rate, uh, while I'm noodling that through, why don't we play the next uh, David Sanger clip? And then in the telecommunications area, we saw something similar. We saw Internet traffic that was running through Chinese-controlled elements of the network inside the United States that was mysteriously being routed to Beijing before it came back to the United States and elsewhere in the world. Mm. And people started asking the question, why is it that China could, from a base in the United States, route traffic at will back to Beijing? Mm -hmm. And then as the 5G argument revved up and we were urging allies not to buy the Chinese networks, We had nothing to offer them because American companies had gone out of the business. Cue the ominous synthesizer. How did the... A staple of the New York Times Daily Podcast. Oh, really? (laughs) How did the 5G uh, discussion with Huawei providing European allies with their their 5G service, how did that ever... How did that ever even start knowing what we know or knowing what, uh, you know, the, the people like David Sanger were talking about there? I mean, Great Great Britain was going to have Huawei provide their 5G network until Trump got really tough on that, and they were going to was going to have an off switch, and all the information was going to go through China. And remember that ridiculous somebody from 5G saying uh, China has no uh, has no control over us. We are an independent entity, and uh, all right, whatever. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Huawei, sure. Yeah, right. Uh, it's a, yeah, that seems like an utterly uncontroversial proposition that we should not buy our, our critical infrastructure gear from our mortal enemies. Good Lord. So this uh, piece in Heritage points out the crash of the Texas electric grid during the giant uh, ice storm. Uh, that knocked out people's heat, which could be a serious problem, and or air conditioning in the sweltering summer in the cities, say. Um, so that could be a source of death right there. Uh, they mentioned that the Trump administration issued Executive Order 13929 declaring a national emergency with respect to the nation's electric grid and prohibiting the acquisition or installation of, quote, any bulk power electric equipment designed, developed, manufactured, or supplied by persons owned by, controlled by, or subject to the jurisdiction of such foreign adversaries, including China and Russia, North Korea, Iran, Cuba, and Venezuela. Do we have another uh, shortish clip on this uh, topic? And the accumulation of these examples managed to wipe out 30 years of ideological division inside the Senate over whether the United States should be spending taxpayer money on specific industries in order to stay competitive. It was a really remarkable thing because this debate that has gone on for decades just fell silent in the face of Chinese competition. Well, good. Fantastic. We finally woke up to it, as we were talking about with Josh Rogan yesterday of the Washington Post on this uh, very topic. And if you haven't heard that, go to the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com, where he talked about one thing Trump definitely got right was uh, changing the conversation around China to where we all recognize China as, as an enemy of the United States, because they clearly are. Boy, this this is something. They're writing about cybersecurity. Joseph Weiss, who was talking to the Wall Street Journal, that officials had found the uh, electronic backdoors. Weiss added that as far back as 2001, China was trying to hack into the U.S. grid in California. He contends the Russians have been in the U.S. grid since 2014. And uh, among the other technological threats, um, let's see, this is Tommy Wallace, Director of Infrastructure Security at the Center for Public uh, Security Policy, etc. Et he worries about sensors, actuators, and drives installed in imported equipment, even if they are not connected to the Internet. Such hardware, he notes, could be designed to sabotage the grid by sending bogus readings, which is straight out of the Stuxnet attack that somebody, I think it was the U.S. and Israel, uh, did to Iran. We drove their centrifuge readings uh, up into the stratosphere, and so they, they tried to compensate, but they were false readings, and they caused the machines to spin out of control and bust themselves. So, yeah, they absolutely could do that. I was thinking the other day about how, you know, the Trojan horse story, how old is that? Four, 5,000 years? How old is the Trojan horse story? And practically every school kid hears it. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's popular enough that it gets used as a uh, metaphor for things all the time. They, mm-hmm. they built a giant horse, said it was a gift. They pushed the horse inside the castle, and then out come the warriors that they'd hidden inside, and then they take over the castle. Um, but you said it was a gift, the giant horse. I was so excited. Um, I, I've always wanted a giant horse. I hope we're not living through something that will be a story people tell for thousands of years also, just slower developing, and that uh, China taking on the, the, the biggest power in the world. We're like the Roman Empire, taking on the United States convinced them they were friends for years, for decades, and provided them all their electronic equipment that had a secret off switch that they could uh, use whenever they wanted. 
Well, and it, it reminds you of why it's always important to ask what people's primary motivation is, including those who've been pushing global trade for decades. And, and I'm pro-trade, obviously, but their priority is simply maximizing profit. And they don't want to hear about the risks of, of uh, Chinese-made infrastructure equipment because they're brokering the deal. But there are absolutely... Uh, limits to the global trade approach and absolutely uh, merits to nationalism in terms of trade. And, and and those of us who have been told we're nativists and racists and the rest of it, because we kind of believe that we need to design trade policy to protect our country. Well, it turns out we were right. How did I never heard this story before that they were giving us equipment that had a secret off switch? That's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, the Wall Street Journal, according to Heritage, wrote about this last year. I missed it. Which is, you know, part of the reason the Trump administration passed that uh, executive order I was just talking about. Um, but it, it kind of came and went. It wasn't that uh, juicy, I guess. It didn't involve anybody fighting with anybody. So the media didn't make a big deal of it. Well, plus, plus, come to think of it, that was right at the very height of if you say anything negative about China, like that racist Trump, then you're a racist, too. I'm hearing anti-China racism. So, yeah, there was no pickup. There's no uh, energizing the story through the activist lefty media. Armstrong and Getty.